Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Soccer America, the soccer paper of record. Go to SoccerAmerica.com and sign up for your subscription today. And by Nella from Fitbiomics. A Harvard doctor has found a probiotic strain that is found in most world-class athletes. Not all probiotics are the same. More information on all our sponsors at overtheball.com slash sponsors. Call or text us at 424-229-2247. That's 424-229-2247. Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn alongside Men's College Coach of the Year and defending national champion Chris Shamides. Chris, I am stoked about today's show. We're going to be talking to Stuart and Andrew Douglas, known as the Douglas Brothers. Uh, what is it with brothers, man? You got the Farrelly brothers, the Cohen brothers, the Zucker brothers. Uh, but the uh, Douglas brothers have directed this really great documentary that I know you've watched over the weekend. So I wanna, I'm excited to talk to you about it. But uh, documentary on Ronaldinho called Ronaldinho, the happiest man in the world. Uh, you know, dude, I'm, I'm telling you, man, watching him this weekend, I did not want this video to end, but this, this doc to end because the deft touches, the goals he scored, just not only beautiful goals, just so creative. Um, you had it. I was thinking about you going, oh, my God, I, I knew Shamanese was loving this. Were you? Yeah, it's, it's, it's honestly, it's one of the best docs I've ever seen soccer wise, because typically when I get a soccer doc and I consume a lot of this stuff, yeah, you know, both as a fan, as a coach, uh, et cetera, et cetera. You know, there's always parts like, to be honest, that I'll fast forward through because it's not enough soccer content or there's a fluff aspect to it. Right. This was just pure football. Like it was just Ronaldinho, 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 his life. And it's every every chapter was a test to his soccer and his football. And as a purist, I loved it. Yeah. And I loved how they they jumped back and forth to tell the story of, you know, I, first of all, I didn't even know he was a PSG when he was there and he went to Barcelona. Forgot about how Barcelona was in dire straits then. Um, goes back to the story of his dad and his brother and all these things I didn't know about Ronaldinho, uh, his personality, the 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 smile on his face constantly while playing, but also a shy person. Um, and about how fans turn on you, even on the greatest ones, you know, with any, I mean, it, it just, it was, it was uh, as euphoric and gut wrenching at times. It was really, these guys did a really great job. And I, and I got to say, I was coming out of a memorial. One of my uh, best friends, uh, father had passed away. I went to the memorial and I was on my way. I was leaving and I was waiting for an Uber to go back to the airport to fly back to the West coast. And I just, had met the director right there. We were just sitting, we're friends of friends. Um, I know his wife. And so we just started talking and I'm like, whoa, wait a minute, what? You know, he was working on something else. I go, no, no, wait, wait, you, you did a Ronaldinho documentary? And it's on the FIFA app, you get it on the FIFA app. So we started talking and um, I'm like, oh my God, this guy's, uh, he's one of us, he's a soccer boy. So um, we, we, you know, I got in contact with him. He, he sent us the video, uh, the documentary and man, I'm telling you, I agree with you. It's one of the best I've ever seen. It, it's, it's wonderful. So I'm really excited to get a chance to talk to them about this, how they started it, about the FIFA app, about uh, Ronaldinho, what they, what they, um, they discovered maybe that they didn't put in the movie or let's talk about what was in the movie because it was really just great to watch. Um, I didn't know his brother was a professional player as well. And, and then just how, the memory of his father just is over everything, everything this, yeah, this yeah. young man did, which is a wonderful. Uh, yeah, we're in this 
in this chapter where where for so many years we've talked about Messi and Ronaldo and for so long, but you, you realize that the previous chapter was him and only him. You know, he was the previous chapter that he was the one name. He was the guy with the flair and the productivity and all that stuff. And I could see how that, you know, he's an enigma in that sense, you know, where it's like the Brazilian part of the story where, you know, hey, they don't deliver against France and they don't win that World Cup. And when you see their lineup of that Brazilian team, you're like, how could they possibly lose? Full respect to France because they were a great team as well. But he gets all this criticism, you know, for not having delivered the World Cup in that cycle. Um, and, and it does speak to his flair. And there'll probably be coaches who, you know, put their arm around him and embrace him. There'll be other coaches. I know Pep certainly would have been one where they wouldn't have wanted to work with that kind of a player. So it's, it's, he, there's an enigma right. there underneath all the talent. You know, I was in France for that World Cup. I was working for Fox at the time. Um, that People forget that was when Ronaldo basically had a, a sort of a mental episode. And it, and it, you know, look, the Brazilians play with such skill and such joy, and it's not enough to score. It's not enough to win. You have to play in that beautiful game way. Um, and you know, France had a team, a great team. You know, with Zidane on it. But when Ronaldo wasn't going to start, he was a scratch, and it just threw them off completely. And if I can pull it up to to when um, Neymar got hurt. The Brazilians, look, I, I can generalize because, look, you've played with enough of them. They are so temperamental to play with at times, you know, laughing and joy and playing. And then they'll kick the ball away and mutter in Portuguese as they walk away. And they're so like, they remind me of like the South American Irish, you know, um, so so temperamental sometimes. it's it, it, it cracks me up. But, you know, Ronaldo not playing in that game in France, that was really his team at that time. Um, and for him not to be in the starting lineup, he wasn't going to play the whole thing. He was in his room. He wouldn't come out, all kinds of stuff. That's really what I felt like the story was, but they all got blamed because they didn't win the world cup, you know, right. We, right. Our guys got blamed because they didn't qualify. You know, there's a big difference. Yeah. Well, it speaks to, it speaks to fame at that level. When you're talking about the pinnacle of the international sport, the global fame of that, you know, I don't know if we all understand that. You know, it's it's one thing to be LeBron in the NBA, and I know he has a global appeal, but it's another thing to be Messi and what his global appeal is. Or in that time, it was Ronaldinho, right. and and that's it was one of the questions I have is like when he when he loses his joy at Barcelona at the end. You know, is there a mental health aspect to that? You know, is is, is there yeah. an aspect of not being able to be light anymore? And what came of that? And did he find it again in Milan? Sounds like he did. But what what would have happened in today's world? Would he have gotten different support to perhaps navigate that differently? The mental health stuff is there. But I think, you know, if you're talking about mental health, like a depression or sort of very serious mental health issues, that, that's that's one thing. But as a coach yourself, you're coaching players. You know that every one of those kids has a different um, uh, mental makeup and you have to treat them each differently. And some of these old school coaches, like things where Mourinho went, has gone a little bit South. It's like, you don't understand the current player. They're, they're millionaires. They have world fame. They're more famous than you, the coach, and you've got to keep them motivated. I, I say this all the time. I've, I've quoted this a couple of times about uh, John Calipari says in the pros, you can shout, shout at the players maybe twice a year, three times a year college. You can lay into them all the time. You know, they're young, they're impressionable. It's why they draft young kids into the army for God's sakes. Right. Cause they're, they're going to listen to the coach. Um, what I saw from that was just, and even at Barcelona, you look at Romario, Rivaldo, Ronaldo, you know, Ronaldinho, this long list of great Brazilian players that have come there and pretty much all of them have worn out their welcome. Um, 
you know, so it's, uh, yeah. well, not right now though, but, but, um, but, you know, uh, I, I just found it fascinating. So I'm really yeah. excited to talk to the Douglas brothers. We'll break it all down, um, see how this all started and, and get some more insight into it. Um, yeah. Seeing to- players at the highest level, it, it happens less and less, you know, and, and I think it used to be, those were small chapters now with the, all the extra support, certain players are able to stay at the top a little bit longer, but getting to the top is, as they say, it's a cliche, but I, I, I have found it to be true is like getting to the top is a certain amount of difficulty, but staying at the top is so difficult. Yeah, right. It is amazing. Know? And I think that speaks to Ronaldo now today, today's Ronaldo and, and to Messi. And, and one other thing I forgot about Ronaldinho was just how he mentored Messi and Messi said he really missed him when he left and he needed a couple of more years with him to sort of figure out that stuff that you're talking about, you know, the mental aspect of the game, staying physically on top of things. Messi seems more disciplined. Ronaldinho seemed to have a good time. It was part of it. He's always smiling. Um, So I I really enjoyed it. And so look forward to talking to the Douglas brothers. I wanted to quickly just talk about a a few things. Uh, Looks like the Premier League race is perhaps over. Man City uh, smacked Newcastle around this weekend to, to win. And then Liverpool Liverpool tied, but I wanted your sort of your insights as a coach. We talked about a little bit um, a few weeks ago, but Klopp was sort of commenting, saying, "Look, I have a problem with the way uh, people play when they pack the bus, they park the bus there." Um, it seemed like this, you know, Tottenham didn't really come out to play; they just came in to withstand, um, you know, pressure, and they countered, got a goal, and and then they did tie it up, but. They only get one point, Liverpool. So it looks like um, Man City pulls ahead. Klopp didn't criticize Conte directly, but what are your thoughts on that? Is it is it the type of thing you just want to win, or do you, you know, or like talking about the Brazilians? Do you want to play yeah. a beautiful game to win? Well, I, I think Klopp said something on Saturday, but then if you listen, which is what you're referring to, and then if you right. listen to what he said on Sunday, he walked back a lot of his comments you know, because he's, he's realizing that that was in the heat of the moment and he shouldn't really say or evaluate the other team. Cause that's not his job. The other team can play any way they want to play. And his job is to break them down and try to get the three points. And, and Klopp knows that. And so he backtracked a little bit. Plus also, you know, as, as Antonio Conte, the coach of Tottenham says, Liverpool is a monster right now. There's only two, three teams in the world that are monsters. And Liverpool is one of them. You're talking about a fully functional team with a coach in year four or whatnot. And they are, they have every detail kind of played in and, and they're at the top of the game of their game individually and collectively. Mm-hmm. So Tottenham had to do whatever and anything they could do to stay competitive in the game. Cause they're not as talented as they are. So Conte, as he's done everywhere in his career, highly successfully did what he had to do to get something out of that game, you know, so he could yeah. do whatever he wants. And I think Klopp now, you know, has come back to, to acknowledge that. Watching Liverpool, I was a little frustrated. Uh, watching uh, Tottenham and thinking about them, I was like, "That's well coached. They're organized. They they were playing within their means, um, and it wasn't like uh, Lampard had them playing. You know, Ever- Everton playing against Liverpool. That was literally eleven guys in the goal mouth for God's sakes. You know, so uh, you know, it's just not sometimes not good for the game because you look forward to a game that's going to be wow, Kane and and uh, Son." Sun, you know, they're going to be breaking and, and all kinds of creative stuff. And, and it just didn't materialize that way. Um, and they come up with a one, uh, one, 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 one draw. Yeah. Um, Tottenham's built a counter. So, you know, that's how they did it. And they did it even more so from a deeper position, obviously, because it's Liverpool. Everton doesn't have the same kind of assets going forward and the same kind of 
precision and explosion. Physically, Tottenham are one of the elite teams in the world. They're just their soccer is quite not up to that same level. So they have a little bit of a harder time. So they can do more than Everton. They can't do as much as Liverpool against Liverpool. Right. Oh, well, well put. I like that. Um, and then there's the Polisic watch here. He, the kid is impactful every time he steps on the pitch. And yet he does not seem to get uh, a steady start or, or a lot of minutes. Um, why, why is that? I, you know, Tuchel brought him along. Yeah, I mean, the, he plays for Chelsea. You know, he's one of the best clubs in the world, top 10, let's call it. And, uh, you know, that means there's X number of players across those 10 clubs in his position. So now you're dealing with what? You're talking about one of the top 50 players in the world in his position. That's very mm -hmm. hard to be. And they, you know, th th there is another stratosphere at the super elite clubs where their mobility and physicality is through the roof. You know, you're talking about a guy who's just as skillful as Pulisic, but he's six foot one, you know, those kinds of things. And so, you know, it's unless you're unbelievable at, 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 at their efficiencies as who he is as a player at that size, it's very hard to latch on to regular minutes at those most elite clubs because they have so many other options. Apparently the coach is pretty happy with him. It's just that, you know, there's a huge disruption with his dad getting involved with a tweet and, it being taken down yeah. and I can only imagine it got taken down because you know he said to his dad hey man what are you doing get that off and but the damage was done right right because it's uh th there'll be some moves in the offseason whether they get rid of uh, Tima Werner you know who who got hot after not doing much in his first season um and, but you know Pulisic here looking at it is uh um 17 starts 53 games uh, here we go and going to a world cup, you know, he's our golden boy, but, uh, you know, this is, this is difficult. I, I, I think he would probably move in the off season. Do you agree? Yeah. I, I would imagine he doesn't want to move because it's great yeah. to play for the Yankees quote unquote, but at the same time he wants to play more and he's young, you know, so I can understand that. So maybe it's a loan situation and, and this way, Chelsea, it could be a win-win because then Chelsea could see how he develops. And then from there, decide to bring him back in. If he matures a little bit, maybe he physically goes to one more level higher, you know, he might be able to be a regular yeah. for Chelsea one day, but it doesn't seem to be that way right now. That's my big concern with him is the physicality and if he can just kind of kick it up a notch, but um, another injury uh, not the Pulisic's injury, but Miles Robinson got injured uh, this week, and he started, what, 11 of the 14 World Cup qualifiers and uh, suffered a non-contact injury in Atlanta United's 4-1 win over Chicago. So I guess he's going under uh, undergoing MRI um, on his Achilles tendon. So uh, don't know much about that injury. Never had one of those on the Achilles. I know uh, as an old man, I avoid uh, playing basketball because of that injury, but he's young. Um, I just don't know how serious it is. Yeah, I mean, if, if I think they've acknowledged that that is what it is. Best case is six months, which puts them right at that Oof. spot where it's going to be super close. Um, I guess the difference is this year with the World Cup cycle is, you know, typically the, the leagues would cut, you know, it used to be a summer World Cup, right? So right. teams would get like a month together before the World Cup. But now they're playing it in the end of November. Clubs are going to still play through. So these national team camps will be very brief, like, basically a week before they go to world to the world cup so yeah. it's going to create a different dynamic but it does give him a little bit more time 
to catch up to the group and potentially like be named. And there's also this idea of if it comes down to day by day or week by week, if they feel like they're going to advance out of the group, you know, maybe they take him with the idea that he isn't playing game one or two, but maybe he plays in game three or the advanced stages. It could be, if it comes down to that, that could get involved in their thinking, but we had kind of done some, you and I have been asking people regularly in the most recent answers, center backs were Zimmerman and Miles Robinson. So it's a big hit right. for the USA. Well, I think it's going to bring John Brooks back into the equation, possibly. Um, but you, as you know, I mean, that injury, he comes off that injury, and now you're not, you're not game fit. You're certainly not World Cup match fit. Uh, and that's a problem. I mean, that's, you know, you notice a player getting put in when you're not ready, even when you're training with the team and you've been playing, it's still at a level that's pretty amazing uh, above what you've been playing. You know, qualifying is different than when the World Cup happens. It's, uh, it's, that's it, man. That's uh, no dress rehearsal. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know if he'll have time to rehab. So, but look, this is the, all the components that uh, the coaches and teams have to go through. So, but what I think is interesting is, you know, timing, Chris, is everything, right? Um, and uh, we talk about Polisic's injuries. We had Josie Altador in the past. You look at Messi hasn't been injured for all the hits he takes. Um, but the timing of the World Cup uh, always matters. And now Car- uh, Cameron Carter Vickers, boy, he's on the verge of, um, you know, second title season with with Celtic. Um, he, he might be pulled in. I mean, he hasn't been in, uh, you know, been involved in any World Cup qualifying in a while. Yeah, you know, physically very good. Um, was a bit of a leap when he got signed by Tottenham a few years back. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he never quite – I've seen him play with, with Tottenham in preseasons and stuff like that, but could never really make that first team because it's, right. it's such a tough team to make. So he'd always kind of go on loan and play for some of these other teams. So he's found a home – at this just slightly off the highest level, no disrespect to self. Right. Um, and, and he's been able to play, you know, at those kinds of levels, which is what the Pulisic question is, right? Like, should he drop down one level and play a whole bunch more or try to stay at the uber elite level and maybe play a little bit less? But Cameron Carter-Vicks is, is, is it maybe technically not what Greg is looking for at the U.S. national team, right. but physically has all the tools. Let me ask you this as a coach. They've got him as an outside back. I mean, he joined Tottenham, I think, when he was 11 years old. Um, from the And then at 18, he was called up to the first team. But, um, you know, like you said, hasn't gotten much time. He, he seems to me to be a central defender, not an outside back, even though he's got the wheels uh, to play wide. Um, what do you think? Hey, he's a bit of a tweener. You know, yeah. it's just it's just how he is physically you know he's maybe not you know the prototypical center back because he doesn't have the same size as some of the bigger guys do um, but he's also built so strong you know that he's not he's not that slinky outside back who goes up and down all, all wiry long yeah. he's a bigger stronger thicker guy so so he's kind of somewhere in the middle and and, and that doesn't always suit certain teams um, and if the USA is going to do well in the World Cup, they'll always rely on set pieces as a piece of, of their attack. And so he doesn't necessarily bring that attack, that threat. John yeah. Brooks, you know, you can say what you want about John Brooks. He, he's a handful in the box. He's gotten a goal or two, and he definitely is a distraction to the opponent because of his size. So Carter Vicks doesn't bring that. And that's why he's kind of fallen through the cracks a little bit. Like, where do we play him? How do we use him? Right. He, he doesn't fit perfectly into everyone's, you know, game model. Um, watching this weekend, Jesse Marsh, uh, the American coach in the premier league, uh, you know, he's done a great job, I think with them over there, but, uh, they lost to Arsenal, um, and they were in the relegation zone. I mean, Jesse took over what three months ago, uh, 
first two were losses and then just a five game undefeated streak. He's definitely changed the way those guys have played, but it seems like they've uh, just gotten some bad luck as it is. Um, yeah. Um, it's and and next up is next up is, um, is Chelsea. So yeah, it's game on because yeah. they've got a couple of tough games and there's what three games. I think it is left. So there's nine points left on the table and they're tied up 34 points with one team ahead on 35. So this can go in any, any direction, you know, Everton getting a win when they're not supposed to doesn't help. So now all of a sudden they're, they're tied on points. And uh, yeah, this is why he was brought in is to navigate through this exact patch and hopefully not get relegated. But we talked about this last week and I want to get to the Douglas brothers right after this, because I've got so many questions to ask those guys. But um, I think that if Jesse's team was playing this way all year, they'd be in the middle of the table. Agree. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the the glaring fact is that when you look at the table, look at the goal differential and look how many goals Leeds has given up, you know, and it just goes to show you, you know, to your point, if they had conceded a chunk less, you know, maybe you're talking about a few extra draws in there and they may not be so tight to the relegation zone right now. Part of that Leeds way of playing under Bielsa, it was kind of all or nothing. You know, they yeah. they maybe they maybe give up two or three, but they'd scored three or four. But on the days that they hit the post, they're losing 3-1, and they, that accumulates those goal differentials. So they're going to lose the goal differential balance, which, by the way, City winning the way they did at 5-0. Five, at five, uh, Four-zip, yeah, I think it was yeah. four-zip. Five-zip this I weekend at Newcastle, it. yeah. Yeah, the Newcastle game. Mm. That also not only gave them the three points, but it tilted the goal differential into their side against Liverpool. So Leeds doesn't, won't win the goal differential, so they've got to get it straight on uh, – on points total, but yeah, you, you can argue that, yeah, if they conceded less during the season and he was there a little bit earlier, but obviously Bielsa had a long leash because of his uh, reputation. Well, you know what the uh, solution is Sam Allardyce. Let's bring him in. <laughs> Just kidding. Hey, all right. Uh, let, let's, uh, let's take a quick break here. Uh, I'm really excited about this interview with the Douglas brothers, two brothers put together a great documentary on Ronaldinho uh, and boy, I enjoyed it. Um, going to watch it again. It's a, it's like, it's like Ozark for soccer. It's uh, it's, it's a good show, man. All right. You're listening to over the ball. Call or text us at 424-229-2247. That's 424-229-2247. All right, this is the moment, folks. Uh, Joining us now on the pod is the directing team of Stuart and Andrew Douglas, the Douglas Brothers. They have uh, an absolutely great documentary. Uh, Chris and I both watched it this weekend on Ronaldinho called The Happiest Man on Earth. Uh, You get it through the FIFA app. Guys, first of all, congratulations on the doc. I'm not blowing smoke up your butt. It was incredibly entertaining. Chris and I believe it was one of the best documentaries we've ever seen on soccer. And I I did not want it to end, which is always a good, good sign. But uh, Ronaldinho, man, just uh, plays with joy uh, and you capture this really well. Um, Tell us a little bit about the story of, of how this whole documentary came together. Stuart? Who, who's the older brother, first of all? Who's the older brother? So, all right, so, so you got to go so, first. Otherwise, your mother will be involved. No, I know. So, so, so um, a friend of ours, a producer friend of ours, had met the, um, had met, um, the family, had met uh, Andreas, the big guy who's in the film, mm-hmm. and, um, and simply very casually proposed that why, do, why doesn't somebody make a film about Ronaldinho? So uh, a producer friend of ours, um, Bernie Goldman, um, 
thought that we would be a good, you know, I just come off a, a good a tennis documentary. So we, we kind of had some bona fides in, in documentary and um, he thought we'd be a good choice for it. Um, so we put a pitch together and, and Bernie took that around town and uh, a new kind of finance studio entity called LA Media, LAMF, LA Media Fund, that picked up the option um, for, um, for a feature, for a feature doc. And um, me meanwhile, I was, um, Stuart had said, Stuart actually, I think, had told me, and I said, well, why would we do Ronaldinho and not like somebody else, like Messi, for example? He said, and Stuart said, and it's very telling, Stuart said, because Ronaldinho was Jimi Hendrix. And it was such a, wow. a, a great thing to say. And it kind of, that sing, single thing rippled through a whole approach to, to the portrait, really. You know, his, 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 his desire for performance, his, his need for performance, his need for ad, adulation. So, so yes, he scored goals, but if they weren't the right goals, they weren't kind of, he wasn't getting what he needed. Right, right. You know, Chris and I were talking in the. Chris, that's your agent now calling, because um, yeah. the documentary was so good. Um, we talked a little bit before you guys got on. Just uh, what I noticed. Look, when Ronaldo scores a goal, it's like euphoric, and he's finally happy. Uh, Messi seems to be this uh, measure and concentration constantly, and a goal is just sort of like I've been doing this since I was three years old. But there's something about Ronaldinho. Uh, not only when he scored a goal, but when he played, that big smile that he had, the joy, the the uh, just the the, the creativity, um, just it was it brought a smile to my face as I'm watching the documentary. And and Stuart, uh, you know, I I know Andrew a little bit through some friends, but uh, you've got to be a football fan because this comes through in the end uh, that you guys know the game. And one of the frustrating things for me as an American is many times it's not captured. Uh, the true the movement of the game and the spirit of the game and, and you guys do that quite well. Yeah, well, the the, the football content in this was that was the easy part because we didn't have to mess with it. Uh, Ronaldinho's football was entertaining. We can watch you can watch Messi and be astonished. You can watch uh, Cristiano Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, there's nothing. There's, a, there's an interesting thing. You talk about Ronaldo, you talk about Ronaldinho. Um, Ronaldo, there's, you can see the, you know, the narcissistic element in him. Mm -hmm. It's in how he plays, it's in how he celebrates, it's in how he scores. Ronaldinho's whole persona is the other direction. There is nothing narcissistic in that. It comes from a different place. And so the football he produces... Equally brilliant as as, as Ronaldo, um, just different. And so to allow his football to be as it was, we didn't have to mess with that. There's the entertainment there. He gave it to us. What we had to do was find the human story behind all that. So he did. He boy, did the you football did. for us. Boy, you did. Yeah. You really did. Yeah. Thank Chris? you. Thank you. There was. Uh, yeah, there was I want. I'm sorry, I just wanted to congratulate you on the documentary, but also, you know, the, the storyline and how you all, you know, approached it. I, I mean, I, I think the thing for me as, as a football person, 
was that I, I consume a lot of these types of, you know, uh, productions, whether it's a documentary or docu-series, whatever. Um, and, and that, you know, there's fast forward button, right? So there's, there's times when I just go through that part. And, and I just want to applaud you guys just because from as a football person, I, the whole story was football, football, football. And I, as you say, like, it's easy to show the clips and we all kind of love to see that again. But even the storyline, it was never we never went more than 30 seconds without the football being introduced. And I think that's going to be universally applauded because whether it's a kid watching it or an older person who can remember Ronaldinho, you know, there is this, there's this element of us all having watched Ronaldo and Messi for all these years, but he was that person before them, right? Like he was the one who literally passed the torch to Messi. So to uncover that story. And a lot of people don't know that story, I think is really important. And I was curious in, in when you tackle the whole project, you know, the, that passing of the torch to Messi, you know, how does that get communicated? Obviously it comes out in the documentary, but what was your all experience with that passing of the torch? How did you perceive that in terms of his happiness? Cause like Ronaldinho, the theme of the whole documentary is his happiness. What was his happiness that connected to Messi in that sense? It, it, the, the thing, the thing is it's, it's, there's no one easy answer for that because it's, it's multi-layered and it's multi-layered because Ronaldinho won't tell you himself. Sometimes, actually quite often, he doesn't know the answer. He'll talk, around, he'll talk around an issue, but he won't know. You have to fill it in by talking to the other people. So it was the way uh, uh, you know, Carlos Puglio spoke about him. It's the way Messi was, I mean, really nicely honest uh, about Ronaldinho. So it's the way everyone else spoke that really gave us the, the, the fuller picture of what happened there. And it's joyous and so tragic when you see Ronnie starting to slide a little bit and the crowd have already moved on. It's that same season. Yeah. They've already moved on. Merci, merci, merci. They've got their next hero. And whilst that's wonderful, it's kind of tragic. And, and you know, we really felt that. We felt Very that. sad, yeah. Yeah, it's very sad. And, and you, you mentioned the quote by Messi. Um, I can't believe you guys got that quote because it just fits so right in with everything the documentary is about. First of all, about how uh, empathetic Ronaldinho was to this young, talented kid coming into the side. He pulls him into the side. Usually you're you're sort of shitting on your competition and, and trying to keep him down in the in AAA. He, he calls him up. He gives him a spot in the locker room next to it. And then for you guys to get a clip of Messi talking about I wish he had stayed around a couple more years. I, I needed him. I could have used him to deal with the pressure, to talk about everything you're talking about, Stuart, in, in, the, in, the, in the documentary. There was something we were really chasing. And in, in, in our research, we found out that, that Messi and Ronaldinho in Barcelona would often play um, FIFA, uh, the video game FIFA, to mm -hmm. work out kind of corners and free kicks. And, um, and because each player is connected with a different with um uh, a rival um uh, soccer oh. video game we weren't able to get that scene but what an oh. amazing scene that would have been those two playing video games like kids well that's what they all do i mean chris is a is a college coach uh, he won the national championship last year and he uh i mean I, most of your players chris are probably playing 
video games in the downtime. It's probably uh, it's probably better than playing golf like the professional players do. Yeah, it can affect the GPA. We've had one or two of those <laughs> through the years. Uh, but at the same time, a pro arguably has more time on their hands, right? Because they're not attending school. So yeah, yeah. The, the FIFA part is uh, the FIFA game part is something that can be played. And a lot of a lot of young players look to it as a way of getting better. So it's interesting to see even at that level that those guys were playing around with that. You know, um, you know, you're talking about the level, you know, Stuart, you mentioned about how they turned on him after all that joy, because first of all, I forgot he was playing at PSG before Barcelona and Barcelona has this history of the Brazilian players, Romario, Rivaldo, you know, so it was sort of, um, he went there when they were down and out and he brought them along and then they turned on him. And it's sad. You almost feel like crying because you know this great backstory, or a bit of it anyway, at that point that you guys tell as well. Talk about that, uh, because I knew nothing about this father, his father, uh, who cast such a huge shadow on him, uh, his brother Robert, who really lifted the family out of poverty. Uh, it's a really sweet family story, none of which I knew, and you guys bring it out in this documentary. Talk about that a little bit. Well, I think that's something that um, that developed for us as we dug deeper into it. We Sure, this is a this is a film about Ronaldinho, but for us, it became also a story of two brothers. You know, it was two brothers telling the story of two brothers because you cannot tell the Ronaldinho story without covering the huge impact uh, that Roberto had on his life, and and actually still does have on his life. You know, mm -hmm. Roberto's still his hero. He's his big brother. He's his hero, and. When Roberto was playing, before he did his ACL, uh, when he was playing, they were talking about him as as good as Maradona. I mean, he was going to be as good as Maradona. That's that's the expectation for Roberto. And it was taken away from him. Just, just gone. Because the ACL recuperation they had in those days wasn't as advanced as it is right. now. So he, he, he was done. He could never play the same again. But he was generous enough to channel all his, all his love and all his hopes and all his dreams into his younger brother. Uh, who knows how good Roberto would actually have been, but what he did for Ronaldinho was made sure that he was the best he could ever be, which was at that time in the world, the best in the world. So it became a story of two brothers. And then that, that extended out to, to the family and the impact that the, the father had on both of those brothers. So it is a family story. And I think, I think that really appealed to us. It, it, it's something I never knew of either. And when at first, the first time you see Roberto in your documentary, he's his, he's the agent for his brother. And I'm scratching my head. I'm like, Oh, come on. You know, it's like Neymar's dad being his agent or whatever. Um, not realizing this dude was a player. I think at 17 years old, he was playing for that Brazilian club. And, yeah. uh, and playing well, because just the few highlights that you have, he's, he's got it. He's got game. He actually looks like Maradona a little bit. Um, but then you tell this, this wonderful family story um, about uh, and how people take him under his wing. It, it re really reminded me of like a great family, but also it takes a village. Um, you know, so I had no question. I just it was just an observation. I thought it's very heartwarming. Um Kevin, so yep. interestingly, we, we got to we got to all of that um, backwards in the sense, because one of the first things that Stuart and I, one of the things that Stuart told me, Stuart is an Arsenal fan and he's, you know. Sorry, rabid, Stuart. Sorry about that. Man. Rabid um, football <laughs> fan. Kidding. Yeah. Not so much. 
Mm -hmm. so much. But um, um, Stuart said one of the things that's in the kind of community is the mystery or the enigma of what happened to Ronaldinho at Barcelona. I mean, you notice that we really focus on Barcelona, those Barcelona years because Barcelona charted the rise of Ronaldinho and the fall of Ronaldinho. So we kind of really focused on that. And, and, the, and the enigma was why in that season where he won everything but lost the World Cup, why did he fall, from, why did he fall away from form um, so dramatically at that point. And it was a bit of a detective story, really. And, um, you know, for us, that was really why we went looking um, back into the, the origin story. And, and that's, and that's where, where, where we found the father's death being so important, really. You know, because by the end of the film, he's really recreated the family home, hasn't he? Mm -hmm. He's got his own son. He's got all, he's surrounded by all his friends. So he's really recreated that kind of, you know, paradise that he had as a kid, and he spent his career getting there. So, right. so really, the, the, it was the mystery of that fall from grace after the um, the um, the quarterfinal loss against uh, against Zidane's France, right? And, um, and then the, the and then the crowd turning on him, and he couldn't cope, and he just kind of the next two seasons were pretty disastrous. So for us, it was like you know, as documentarians, it was like. What's that about? How does that right, happen? Right. So we kind of went looking for that. You know, well, we, you did, we you, you found it, guys. You found it. And I, you know, back to Stuart's point about uh, my my fists were balled when I was watching how he was treated at Barcelona, and as well as Brazil, uh, about how quickly um, fans turn on you. Chris, you could address that because we were talking about this. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying on. to think about it also from a generational perspective. You, you know, social media now is different than back then. Yeah, so like as much as okay. The Brazil loss to France is a brutal loss. And obviously that Brazilian team was loaded with talent, but fair enough. So was France. But the way he gets treated by the Brazilian fans is so harsh. But I would also would think when he leaves Brazil and comes back to Barcelona, that there's enough of a distance and social media isn't as harsh that maybe perhaps he could still have his legs underneath him. My question was almost, was there a mental health aspect to his demise at Barcelona at the end? Obviously we know he lost his joy and I definitely have a sense for what the concoction was. But did you feel that there was one, when you look back on it, was there one primary reason how or why he lost a joy besides the failure at Brazil? Was there something else to it? I don't, I don't think there's one reason. And we can all play, uh, you know, amateur, amateur psychiatrists and therapists in this. Um, there's, a, I think, a really telling line in, in the movie uh, from... Uh, 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 Spanish journalist and actually a friend of, of, of Ronnie's, uh, Cristina Cubero, who says, and I'm paraphrasing here, I should know it by heart, but uh, she says, um, uh, uh, a happiness, a childhood happiness linked to a moment of tragedy. So at the moment he's at his happiest, at the moment the, the, the Roberto's making money for the family, they're coming out of poverty, uh, Ronnie says himself, the happiest times ever, the happiest times ever. And then boom, his dad's gone. So it's linked to this tragedy. And, you know, all, all the uh, amateur therapy stuff aside, that's a trauma. That's a childhood trauma. And what we feel, and again, Ronnie isn't one for self-analysis, so he won't, he won't bring this out. What we feel is that... Um, that he didn't have the 
the kind of mental fortitude that you need now, that players have now, that players have support systems from their club to help them through these moments. And uh, the journalist uh, Guillaume, Guillaume Balaguet in there, says, you know, Ron, you know, who was looking out for his mental health there? Yeah. He had no one, no one supporting him. And, and Barcelona, who had, were paying a shed load of money for his contract every week, you know, saw a little sideways movement and were, you know, and were really kind of duplicitous in how they, in how they manipulated that situation. And we can't, uh, we can't say, you know, we can't point fingers because we don't have the full evidence to back it up, but we can certainly put it out there as a suggestion. And what people say seems to back up that suggestion. You know, my friend David Tell has a quote, he's a comedian, but he's, he said his father was a gym coach. Uh, growing up, he said, you know, he said, Dad, I'm gay. And he goes, uh, walk it off, um, which was like the answer for everything. And, and yeah. you know, we talk about the old coaches, that old mentality. And, and you know, the game, Stuart, uh, sort of that Mourinho thing where he's boss, he's ordering you guys around. You have to do what he says. The modern player, that is just not the way it works anymore. And even society, mental health has come a long, long way to people more empathetic, compassionate, understanding there is more help out there. You can see it. Uh, it I, for me personally, watching uh, your movie, because I remembered that quote as well. I thought that that does crystallize what this, you know, like you said, right when they get the new house and a pool and everybody's happy and the birthday party and then his father dies. I don't want to give too much away in the documentary, but um, that's the moment his dad died. And that was linked to, to the joy and the happiness. And they were finally out of poverty. Um, it was, it was, uh, it, I've got matter. I understood the Brazil thing because Brazil is your country. You've let them down, they think. And they're already, uh, they keep yelling puta at the bus and all that stuff. And uh, I, I was surprised it happened at Barcelona. And they, you know, we yeah. have it here like on a much smaller level, but I will say this, Landon Donovan was one of our great players for a long time and, and punched above his weight. The moment there was anything wrong, social media just lit up, you know, just basically shitting on him. And, and it's, it's, it's unfortunate, but it seems like you're at those high heights. We all got to deal with this stuff. I just don't think players dealt with all that stuff back then. No, uh, they, had, they had no help at all. And, and you, you can imagine uh, someone said to me, you should never write anything on social media you wouldn't say to someone's face. So if you mm -hmm. can imagine being out there and having – people screaming this abuse at you what that must do to your to your esteem and uh you know ronnie ronnie needed he needed he needed that love he needed the fans love and without the fans love it started to disintegrate well you talk about the joy you know chris and i were talking about just the way he scored goals and the things he did and contorted his body. <laughs> and I was talking, you know, our producer here, Ken uh, Park from Octane Media, it's, it, you know, he's not a, a footballer, but he said, man, the way that guy moved his body. And I said, yeah, but the way he moved his body with the ball and with a live target across from you, reacting to everything you're doing. So the, you know, it's, it's almost incalculable how, how quick it is. Chris. Yeah, I want to know. I actually want to thank you guys for putting the toe poke in the way you did, because <laughs> my 11 year old recently asked me, like, hey, what's the greatest goal you've ever seen? And, and this was before I knew of your documentary. And I said, believe it or not, I think it's Ronaldinho's toe poke. And he's like, what do you mean? And I had to like pull it up and show it to him. But the genius of that and, and how you touch on, I'm glad you included that, because it's for generations to see, like if there's 
a goal in the FIFA museum, obviously, and I think it's in Switzerland that, that we need to make sure a video of that is in there. So I'm glad you guys highlighted that, you know, because yeah, obviously, yeah, please. It doesn't, it doesn't have all the show, does it? It doesn't have all the sparkle and the glitter, but the simplicity of it. And it's the fact that nobody else would actually have thought of that at that moment. And that's, and that's why he's Jimi Hendrix, because he did something that no one else would have done. And he you know? put it in the upper corner. I mean, you know, it, it was it was absurd. So, uh, uh, so I've enjoyed this, and I got to tell you, I got to put a, a plug in for whoever scored the music because it was you mixed genres a little bit. It all fit. It was uh, really nice work. And and from your promo material, I guess it's a young person with uh, its its first music score, first movie score. Yeah, it's a, a young English pop star, Jake Bug, who's had some success in 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 uh, conventional pop music. And we know him, we know his manager very well. We've known his manager for years, but, but we know him, we've done some music videos over the last 10 years with him. So we knew him well, and, um, and it was the, the COVID period and he wasn't able to tour. And um, the, his manager just proposed him as an idea. He's, he's a, a crazy football fan. He once uh, tried for Notts County before he nice. um, picked up the guitar. And, um, and uh, so he kind of taught himself and he taught himself uh, Latin rhythms and he, he exposed himself to all that uh, South American music. But then what we loved was that uh, he was really a manifestation of this idea of Hendrix because mm -hmm. he's a phenomenal guitarist. So there's a lot of rock music in that. Yeah, you know, which, he, he, yeah, but like when you go from Brazil, Brazil has a certain feel and a vibe. And when you go to Paris, it, it has a certain. And then when you go to to uh, Barcelona, it has a, a vibe. And one thing, you know, I, I was going to talk to Chris about this later. Just the link between music and the Brazilian players and the rhythm. They're they're everywhere he was walking. He seemed to have a bongo drum. And when you watch them play and they do the step overs, it's musical. Uh, but the music is in their head at that point when they're on the field, right? Right. I think so. I mean, it would drive you crazy. Like just cutting it, editing it drove us crazy. Like, will you stop <laughs> walking down the corridor shouting and banging that drum? I mean, it would yeah. drive, you know, it would drive Klopp crazy, drive Guardiola crazy. Yeah. Well, he always had a smile uh, on his face and a bongo in his hand. So, uh, so Chris, I think for your locker room, for your team, I think you got to get a couple of bongos, maybe. Uh, well, when I was playing yeah. in, in college, it was bongs. So you do a little bongos <laughs> for your for your players. I played bongos for years. It didn't help me. So it can't just be the bongos. <laughs> uh, well, guys, I do have a question about the yeah. coaching side. I, I'd like to ask a, a selfish question. So obviously we see the futsal coach and, and the influence that he has on, on Ronaldinho. And then Frank Reichardt allows him to play, quote unquote. And we all saw the writing on the wall when Pep was coming that that you know, Ronnie would be out, but going through his whole career, is there, is there a coach that he speaks about, you know, with certain fondness in terms of whether it, that means allowing him space to play or taught him something? Is there someone that he looks back on and says, Hey, this person had a big part of my career. He, um, he, he's prone to saying that Rykard was the best coach he worked with. Um, and it may be that uh, Rykard was the coach who decided to, um, I mean, he said he understood him. Reichardt understood Ronnie. Um, and it may be that he was the coach that allowed him to, allowed him the space by building the support he needed to, to fill in the areas, you know, technically fill in the areas that Ronnie wasn't going to do. I mean, he fell out, he fell out in Paris because he just wasn't going to do, he wasn't going to track back. You know, he wasn't going to come and press. 
um, that wasn't his game. And he, he probably didn't really know how to do it. And uh, there was a strength of personality there that was the performer that uh, uh, I don't know if he refused to do it, but he wasn't, you know, this was, this was the undoing at, uh, at PSG. And that's why he fell out with the coach there. Um, the first, the first half a year at Barcelona also wasn't great, by the way, they weren't, they weren't uh, pulling up trees then, but it's only when it's only when the really Reichardt brought in Edgar Davids uh, and stuck Edgar Davids right behind, you know, Ronnie. And you know, you remember Edgar Davids? He's a, he's a oh, yeah. pit bull of a player. You know, he's like, the, I always he, thought he's the yeah. Nayskins of uh, of Cruyff. You know, you you put a exactly. pit bull next to a Cruyff. Yeah, exactly. You just do, you just do all the stuff he's not going to do and let him get on with it. And I think uh, I think Ronnie really appreciated that. So he always says that that Reichardt was the was the coach that he he performed best for. Chris always asked that uh, coach coaching centric type question. But I, one thing about the movie as well: when he leaves Barcelona, I am so happy when he wins in Italy when he goes to what Milan and 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 plays there and they they win the Scuduto, right? I mean, for for him that had to be. Uh, validation some some vindication as far as how he was treated when he left barcelona especially when they were down in their luck so uh you guys do a great job uh i don't know what it is we were, we were talking before you got on i don't know what it is about brothers maybe the farrelly brothers the cohen brothers the zucker brothers and now we have the douglas brothers which are uh you know the cohen brothers of the soccer world so guys um really great job with the documentary how can we get it it's on the fifa app right for everybody else out there is that how it works yeah so yeah uh, you go ahead, FIFA Andrew. Come. No, I was just going to say, yeah, FIFA. Um, FIFA have launched a, a, a streaming service which has uh, huge, you know, voluminous archives, like any game that that's ever been played. Almost, I mean, uh, uh, except for the World Cup, except for exactly what you want to see. Mm -hmm. Huge archives, and uh, this this streaming platform. It's FIFA Plus. It's a free app, and this film is kind of the launch content for it um and who knows i mean who knows where that will go um oh, it's a heck of a way to launch it's a good calling card for them to get started i, I, I mean it's a great it's, movie it's a lot of i i mean potentially it's a lot of eyeballs in a world cup year yeah you know? oh yeah well, which is coming which is going to be an odd year too here in the uh in the fall as we're getting around thanksgiving dinner here in the united states yeah you guys shouldn't have lost this country by the way are you both english both you guys yeah. Obviously, yeah, yeah. One's English, one's one's Asian. No, yeah, um, I could be the, a detective. Um, <laughs> one of the only good things that I just the other day heard the only one of the only good things about um, Qatar was that um, uh, the country is so small that you could actually see all the all the groups in one day because the stadia are not very far so away. Well, well, there's a positive. I don't think you can like, drink, but on you a motorcycle to... you could see several games a day. Very nice. Well, we're looking forward to that. And uh, we're looking forward to uh, I'm looking forward to watching this again. Um, Andrew Stewart Douglas, the Douglas Brothers, the directing team behind the Ronaldinho documentary, the great one. It's on the you can get it on the FIFA app, which is free. Guys, uh, thank you so much for joining us on Over the Ball. Best of luck. Thank you, guys. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for having us. Thank Bye. you, guys. Bye, Chris. Call or text us at 424-229-2247. That's 424-229-2247. The Douglas Brothers. That was a, you know, sometimes guys, I, Chris, I, 
that was really enjoyable. It was nice to kind of drill down and see kind of how it was made. And, um, you know, you watch the footballer play on the pitch. And I think about now, I think about Messi. I, I don't know much about his backstory. I mean, Maradona, you do a little bit now. It's been done a lot. But uh, I think we forget as fans now, which is what we are, you know, your coach still. But uh, you forget that there's a there's a person behind all those skills and and all that and the humanity or the lack thereof that that people display sometimes towards their idols at one time it's kind of it's exhilarating but then it's heartbreaking when you see some of this stuff happen and and again they capture it really well they do a great job and and maybe he's the last the last unicorn that didn't have a uh, a support team around him you know nowadays you go to these these highest level athletes I use tennis as an example they all they talk about is their team their team and there's six seven people you know who are supporting them there's the physical person the nutrition person the mental coach you know there's a generation now that has that kind of support and even then it's hard right you see like Naomi Osaka and some other uh, some other soccer players as well have talked about you know just mental health issues and he needs to take a break from time to time for different reasons well that generation you know maybe he's the last unicorn that didn't have that help yeah, you know, which makes this that's why this documentary is so timely in a way. It's fascinating. It's almost like paper cuts, the death by paper cuts, because he leaves that team in Brazil when he's very young to go to PSG and they hate him then in Brazil uh, from then. And then he plays for the national team, you know, and they when he loses, they hate him then. And then with Barcelona. So uh, just uh, there is a human being behind all those ball skills. So uh, it was great to see these guys uh, bring it out. So. All right, so you're almost done for the year. What happens as a coach, a college coach, now that all the kids leave the campus um, and, and head back? We, we talked about yeah. the training program, but what do you do as a coach now yeah, besides I monitor mean, them? Yeah, pretty standard to, to finish with some version of an exit meeting, team meetings, individual meetings, pretty much that standard across you know, the divisions of the NCAA so that you, you can have some parting words with your, your student athletes before the summer. And then there's a, a plan in place for them to arrive back to us in July or August, whatever it is, and get them to be as fit as possible before the preseason. Every coach manages their preseason differently of what, what they do with the content of that time. So, you know, you start to explain all that to your new people, to your returners, uh, and, and you try to get everyone on the same page for a summer arrival. And do you introduce yourself to your wife once again at this point of the year? Yeah, yeah. June's a good time. June 1 hey, is... is that her name? Hey, June. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, June 1, it's like, hey, remember me? That conversation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I used, to, I used to high-five me on the way out to practice. Uh, honestly, is in, in all seriousness, like you work on that as a coach to just be able to manage your, your world, you know? Life and, balance, and, right? Yeah, because it could be you know, all consuming. There's always a recruiting call to make. There's always something you can do. And at a certain point you got to put parameters on it and still function as a father, as a husband, et cetera. It's right. difficult. It's, it's challenging. All right. Well, that uh, was good stuff. I enjoyed that. And I, I literally am going to watch that documentary again. Uh, I want to thank the Douglas brothers, Stuart and Andrew Douglas. Uh, the movie is called uh, Ronaldinho, the happiest man in the world. Um, I'd like to thank them for being on over the ball for Chris Shamides. I'm Kevin Flynn. And we'll talk to you next time on OTP.